Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. For this is the word of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do believe that this is the word of God. We do believe collectively as a church family that these very words that we're considering this morning are words that were spoken by the risen Christ. And we believe, Lord, that you have a word to speak to each and every one of us here this morning. So Holy Spirit, would you do that? Would you speak to us? Would you instruct us? Would you draw out faith in each and every one of us here today? Lord, again, we are mindful of the fact that we're not the only church in this city, this state, this country, or across the globe that is gathering together on this Resurrection Sunday to consider the implications of the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is alive. So Lord, would you not only grant us your grace by speaking to us in this room this morning, but speak to people all over the world and minister to them and draw out faith in churches everywhere. Lord, finally, once again, we do pray for these congregations in Sri Lanka who have been devastated by what are being reported at this point as acts of terrorism this morning, as they were seeking to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we pray for the many families who will never be the same. We pray for these church congregations that have been rattled with terror and fear. Lord, would you, the risen Christ, comfort and console and minister and bring beauty out of the ashes and demonstrate through these Christians who are going through persecution and suffering that you are alive and you are powerful and you are mighty to save. So Lord, do this work we ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can be seated. When I was a child, one of my favorite Easter pastimes or Easter memories, I should say, was going to my grandparents' house on my mom's side because after we would do an Easter egg hunt in their yard, they'd bring all the kids inside for a few minutes and my grandfather would go out into the yard and he would take literally piles of loose change and he'd throw it all over his yard. And then after scattering change all over his yard, they'd release all the grandkids out into the yard. We'd have little bags and we'd be able to go and, and, and the goal of it was to collect as much money as you could. And as a little kid, we loved that. We look forward to it every year, this chance to go score a bunch of money. Now, before I was a parent, I used to think that my grandfather was an extremely generous person. After all, I mean, he's just throwing all this money, which, you know, back then a quarter was a ton of money, all this money all over the yard for us. But now that I have kids of my own, I, I get what was happening. You know, 50 to $60 of loose change was a small price to pay to distract all of your grandchildren for half the day so the adults could have some alone time. <laughs> it's sort of like my dad, when, when we were young kids, we'd be driving in the car, and my dad would say to me and my brother, keep your eyes peeled for deer. So my brother and I would be like, we'd be glued to the glass window of the car for like an hour 
as we were driving through downtown Los Angeles. But, but the point was, I just need to distract these guys for a couple of minutes in the back seat so that they'll leave me alone. But coming back to Easter, all of us in this room have different memories or experiences, perhaps even traditions that you've been raised with that help to form our understanding of what this holiday is all about. And of course, you and I live in a culture that is trying to infuse its own sense of meaning into the Easter holiday. And so everything gravitates around uh, an Easter bunny, around hunting for eggs, around lots and lots of candy. And that can be a confusing message for people in the broader community. What, what is Easter all about? Then, Unfortunately, even churches can sort of bury our lead in the ways that we promote Easter services from time to time. Sometimes we uh, lead in and it doesn't sound much different than what other organizations in the community might be offering for an Easter party. We say things like, hey, come to our church for Easter Sunday and we're gonna have bounce houses and Easter egg hunts for the kids and free coffee. And of course, there's nothing wrong with having any of that at your church. But in journalism, they would say that that's called burying the lead, right? Sure, you can have that stuff in your church, but family, the reason why we are gathered this morning is to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth is alive today and he is ruling and reigning over all of creation and he wants to rule and reign in your heart as well. That's the point of what we're here for. And at Apostles Church, we believe that Jesus is the best thing that Christianity has going for it. And so we wanna lead with him every chance we get. Well, that's my Easter message for today. I think I said everything I need to say. So God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, no, I'm just kidding. Let's turn our attention to our text and sort of unpack a little bit of these implications of the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is alive. We've read for ourselves this morning, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. This is, as you can see in your Bible there, this is actually the last paragraph in Matthew's biography of the life of Jesus. Throughout Matthew's gospel, his biography of Jesus's life, he's talked about Jesus's birth, his ministry, and all of the teaching he did, the healings that he performed, the way he fed people and ministered to people in need. And then he described Jesus's death on the cross where he was crucified. And now at the start of chapter 28, he explained the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we know that after Christ rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples numerous times in different settings. In fact, at one point, he appeared to 500 disciples in one setting. And this uh, paragraph that we're studying this morning is one of his most famous post-resurrection appearances because Jesus gives what's called the Great Commission. It's sort of the marching orders for the church. Let's look at these verses again together. Verse 16 now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Notice as we pause here, that there were two responses in this text to the resurrected Jesus. Some people worshiped and yet other people doubted. You know, these are the same two responses that people have today to the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. I wonder as you've joined us this morning, what camp you 
find yourself in? Would you say that you yourself are a worshiper of the risen Christ? Or would you say, actually, I'm kind of a doubter. I'm more of a skeptic about all of these things that you guys are talking about here in this church this morning. Well, if you find yourself today as a doubter, don't worry, we're not mad at you. We're not gonna sit and go, the doubters, oh my gosh, I can't believe these doubters. We're not angry with you, we're not upset with you. And more importantly, please know God's not mad at you. In fact, did you know that one of the disciples of Jesus is famously known throughout all of church history as Doubting Thomas? What a bad gig for that guy. I mean, that's the title you get. I'm, I'm Doubting Thomas, and I have to deal with that for all of history. I mean, I feel like Thomas has probably spent the last 2,000 years in heaven having to correct every new arrival. Somebody shows up, I want to meet the disciples. And where's Doubting Thomas? And he's like, hold on, it's, it's Thoughtful Thomas. Thank you very much. He's correcting everybody in heaven. But he was a doubter. He was a skeptic. And his story is encouraging because you'll remember that when Jesus appeared to the disciples on Resurrection Sunday, Thomas wasn't there. What a bad week to miss church, huh? Jesus shows up from the dead and Thomas is MIA. And they tell him, they say, Thomas, listen, Jesus, he's alive. We saw him, he visited us, he appeared to us. And Thomas, like probably any of us in this room goes, yeah, right. Because three days earlier, Thomas, just like all of them saw Jesus abruptly arrested in a garden, go through a mock trial and then be tormented and humiliated and endure great suffering. And then he saw Jesus hoisted onto a Roman cross with nails driven through his hands and a spear thrust through his side. And there was no question that Jesus of Nazareth was dead. And so for his friends to now say, oh, oh, we saw him, you missed him. To Thomas probably seemed like a really sick and twisted joke. He said, yeah, right. He said, you know what? Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's John 20, 25. Well, the next week, when the disciples got together again, guess who made it to church? Thomas. And good on him for coming to church the next week. And Jesus appears to them again. And he isn't mad with Thomas. He doesn't appear to them and go, now, where's, where's Doubting Thomas? Get him over here. Thomas, I need, to, I need to deal with you right now. He's not mad at Thomas, not at all. Jesus actually appears, we find, and he says, peace be with you. And then he looks at Thomas and he invites Thomas to come and to touch his hands and to place his hand into his side. And Thomas is like, no, 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 I, I've seen it. I don't even need to do that. Jesus is like, no, 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 come here. Put your hands in the hole, or put your finger in the holes in my hands and put your hand in my side here. Notice that God was not mad with him. He met Thomas in his skepticism. He met him in his doubt. And some of you this morning might be in our church here at Apostles Church, and you might be like Thomas today. You're doubtful, but you've showed up. And I wanna tell you on the authority of God's word this morning that if that's you, God's not mad at you. God's not put off by your skepticism. God's not put off by your questions. In fact, if anything, 
God is here. The risen Christ is here right now at this moment. And he's willing to meet you where you're at and bring you to a place of faith just as he did for Thomas 2,000 years ago. Some people doubted, but some worshiped. And that is the right response to the resurrected Christ, that we ought to be worshipers of the risen Jesus. Why? Well, verse 18 tells us. Jesus says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Friends, listen to me very clearly. The resurrection means that Jesus of Nazareth is Lord. The resurrection means that Jesus of Nazareth is in charge, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. The resurrection completely validates everything that Jesus taught and said about himself. This is exactly what we read in Romans 1.4. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes that Jesus was, listen, declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So what is he saying? He's saying that Jesus was declared to be the son of God by his resurrection. His resurrection is what proved and authenticated and validated everything he ever said about himself. Because you know what happens to normal people when they die and get put in a tomb? They stay there. And the fact that Jesus busted out of that tomb three days later and was raised again to newness of life speaks of his uniqueness, the fact that he is not like other men, the fact that he is God's own son, resurrected in glory and alive forevermore. In fact, in the New Testament, we are told that Jesus has an indestructible life, that he has life in and of himself because he is God the son. And as such, Jesus and Jesus alone has all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus rules and reigns over everything. And we need to grasp that because when we get that, we become worshipers. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, many scholars think that this is one of the earliest Christ hymns that the church had. We read this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to be held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But check this out. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you understand that Jesus is alive, it changes everything. And you bow the knee to him as Lord. Some of you know my story, but I was raised in the church, but I was not a devoted follower of Christ until I was in college. And when I was 20 years old, I had spent uh, a little bit over a year of my life wrestling with tons of skepticism, lots of doubt, tons of questions about whether or not Christianity was true, what I believed. 
My parents didn't know that. My friends that I was out partying with every weekend didn't know that. But I was wrestling and I was a skeptic. And the final piece of the puzzle for me that brought me to a point of faith was when I concluded that the resurrection was the best explanation for the events that surrounded the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. And what's crazy is even though I was living a wild life, even though I was not following Christ, the moment that that became clear to me, I bowed my knee to Jesus Christ because I thought to myself, if Jesus is alive, I have no other option. He is Lord, he is King, and he is worthy of my obedience. And that's what I did. I bowed my knee to Jesus, And God, from that point forward, completely turned my life around. And I've never looked back. And that was almost 15 years ago now. But that was the key issue for me. If Jesus is alive, that changes everything. And friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus is alive and that changes everything. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that can change everything for you from this day forward. Now, I want you to notice in our text here, That in light of Jesus's authority, because when you're the boss, you can command things. Look at what he says. He commands the disciples to do something. He tells his disciples to go and to make other disciples. And guess what? They did. They obeyed. They went and they made other disciples. And this is remarkable. This disillusioned and discouraged band of disciples turned into a force that within a single generation sowed the seeds of a movement that would literally transform the world as we know it. And in fact, this is one of the most powerful evidences for the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. If someone were to ask the question, how do we know that Jesus really rose from the dead? One of the the best things we could respond with would be this, look at the lives of the followers of Jesus after his crucifixion, after he was put to death. What do you mean, Daniel? Well, I want you to put yourself in their sandals for a moment this morning. Imagine that you were a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, that you had made a decision some three years prior to his crucifixion to follow this Jewish rabbi, this young man who was vibrant, who seemed to be speaking on behalf of God, who was endued with power and he was was touching people and bringing life into people. And you, you made a decision that you were gonna follow this rabbi. And over those three years, you became convinced that this man was the Messiah that, that, all of your hope as a Jewish man or a Jewish woman was put in and all of your ancestors' hope was looking forward to a Messiah God would send and you became convinced that Jesus was that Messiah that God was sending for the deliverance of his people and you had quit your job and you had turned your back on your religion that you had been raised in and maybe even left your wife or your kids for long stints of ministry because you're traveling around with Jesus after all. And again, you believe he's the Messiah. You believe that he's gonna destroy the Roman empire. You believe that he's gonna reestablish the kingdom of the Jews. And then suddenly and inexplicably, they take your leader and they arrest him in Gethsemane. And the next day he's dead on a cross. How would you feel knowing that you had just invested three years of your life, that you had invested all of your hopes in that person, and now he's dead, dangling 
on a tree. Dejected? Disillusioned? Angry? Lied to? Misled? Deceived? Taken advantage of? Probably D all the above. And, And what would you have done if that's what had happened to your Messiah, to your leader, to the guy who, as it appears now, had lied to you for the last three years? I don't know about you, but probably be calling my old boss back up. <laughs> hey, the, the whole like walk out without, you know, two week notice, I'm really sorry about that. Can we smooth things over? Probably go back to your spouse. Honey, I, I'm really sorry about, you know, all the time I was on the road with the boys. Um, yeah, things just didn't work out. Can, can we kind of make things happen here? W- wouldn't you go back to the Jewish religious authorities? You need to understand these disciples were not, Secular agnostics, these were deeply religious people who were raised in the traditions of the Jews. They believed in Yahweh. They just believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And wouldn't they have gone back to the religious authorities and repented and said, we made a mistake. We've been misrepresenting God for the last three years, following this Jesus. How do we get back into God's good graces? Those are the things that most of us would have done. Try to get your life back. But how did the disciples of Jesus respond? After three days, they're filled with wonder, worship, love, devotion, obedience to this Jesus. And they allege that he has risen from the dead. And now they spend the rest of their earthly lives traveling around and preaching a unified gospel, planting churches, in short, fulfilling the great commission that Jesus gave to them. And you need to understand, friends, there was no earthly motivation for this. These guys were not televangelists or celebrity pastors who were making a bunch of money in ministry and living lives of ease. These were people who were enduring great suffering for the rest of their earthly lives for this thing. Here's how Paul describes his experience as an apostle, as a disciple of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. He writes, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Then over in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Finally, over in 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 13, he says, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men who are sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. 
When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That was their life. That was their experience from the time Jesus died to the time that they took their last breath. Was a life of immeasurable suffering and hardship that they were willing to endure. And friends, history tells us that every single one of these disciples of Jesus paid the ultimate price for their faith in him. The apostle Paul was beheaded in the city of Rome. Peter was crucified on a cross upside down so as not to try to be crucified in the same way as his own Lord. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was taken and thrown off the top of the temple. And when he hit the ground, he survived the fall. So they took stones and they stoned him to death. Every one of them died for this thing. If Christ is not risen, how can we explain these facts? I know some in this room might want to say, well, well, Daniel, there are many people who die for their beliefs. Islamic terrorists, like the ones who, at least allegedly at this point, just attacked in Sri Lanka, they're dying for their beliefs. So why is that any different? Well, here's the difference. They're all dying for something that they believe to be true. When an Islamic terrorist goes and explodes a suicide vest, they believe with all their heart that they are about to enter into paradise. What makes the disciples of Jesus of Nazareth unique among the martyrs of all of human history is that this is the single exception to the rule where you've got a group of people who if Christ is not risen from the dead, they willingly died for something that they knew to be false. There is no parallel throughout human history for that. They would have known that they were making this all up. Wouldn't one of them have cracked at some point? Wouldn't you have cracked at some point if you had gotten together with your group of friends and said, well, let's not let the myth die. Let's keep this thing going. And then the rest of your earthly life was misery and suffering and hardship. And ultimately they wanted to put you to death over this thing. Wouldn't you have said, hey, our bad, <laughs> We made this thing up. This isn't true. Not one of them could recant. And the only explanation for that is because they had seen the risen Christ and that changes everything. They could not deny what they had seen. And they became firmly convinced that to live is Christ and to die is great gain. And that's the way that every single one of them lived for the rest of their lives. They spread the authority of Jesus through the making of disciples, through the building of the church. And friends, that continues today. This is what we're about here at Apostles Church. Our goal week in and week out as a church is to share the stunning news that Jesus of Nazareth is alive and that he is ruling and reigning over all of creation and in our hearts and as we share that news, we call people to get baptized, which is the initial way of demonstrating their faith in him. And we call people to become a part of the church where they can be taught to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. I wanna close this morning with the last sentence here because it's a beautiful promise from our Lord. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end 
of the age. For those of us who respond properly now, He is with us always to the end of the age. All of our lives and on through eternity. Jesus promises here to be with us all of our lives. What a great promise that is. Did you know that Christianity isn't just about getting to heaven when you die? Did you know that Jesus is not interested in just giving you a get out of hell free card? Notice with me what Jesus is saying. He's saying, for those who are responding properly, he's saying, I I will be with you. What God is offering to us is again, not just to get out of hell free card. He's offering us his very presence that God is offering to us in the person of his own son relationship. That's what God is offering us. We can have relationship with God. Of course, the important question, the all important question is how can that even be? How can we as broken, sinful people possibly have a relationship with a holy and righteous and perfect God? Answer, Jesus Christ. Answer, God the Son became man. He lived the righteous life that you and I were supposed to live, but we failed. He died the death that you and I deserve to die for our sins. And on the cross, Jesus Jesus absorbed the wrath of God, the punishment for our sins. And he was buried. And three days later, he rose again from the grave, undoing the results, the impact of our sin. He reversed it all. And he triumphed over death and he's alive today, offering eternal life to every person, every man, woman, or child who would turn to him in faith and say, Jesus, I'm bowing my knee to you. You are the Lord, you are the savior, and you are my God, and I'm gonna follow you. That's how it happens. That's how we can have Christ's presence. And when you receive his presence, he is active in your life. He begins changing us into the type of people we really ought to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Some of you here this morning need to leave this church today a brand new person. Not only is he changing us, but he's guiding us. Psalm 16.11, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Not only is he changing us, not only is he guiding us, but friends, listen, he's sustaining us through every season of our earthly life. He promises to be with us. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. We are told that he's working all things in your life right now together for the good. And I know that some of you are looking at things in your life right now and you're saying, this is not good. This is bad. I hate this. I don't like this. Because Christ is risen, you can have hope that even in those dark circumstances, even in the things that right now are bad, God can take the bad and make good out of it. And Jesus is promising to do that for those of us who have received him by faith. This is a great promise. I am with you always. But the second part is even better, even to the end of the age. It's not just that Christ promises to be with us here and now. The good news of Resurrection Sunday is that Jesus is promising to continue to be with us throughout all of eternity. The end of the age refers to the time where history itself comes to a close, when history is brought to completion. 
And notice with me that when Jesus promised his disciples 2,000 years ago that he would be with them to the end of the age, the end of the age didn't come about in their lifetime. They died and history has continued marching forward. But Jesus was saying, even after your death, I'm gonna continue to be with you. His point is, I will be with you forever, for all of eternity. And that promise holds true for all of us who put our faith in the risen Jesus. The resurrection gives us hope for life now, but also for life eternal. There are many things in our lives that can cause us anxiety. There are many things in our lives that can bring fear to us, but there is no greater inducer of fear than the fear of death. And none of us can escape it. But Jesus, our Savior, has taken care of that too. And this is the greatest news of all. Jesus, after he was crucified on that cross 2,000 years ago, where he took our sin and he nailed it to the cross, he then plunged into death, only to trample it underfoot and walk away in total victory. And now he can say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now he can declare himself the resurrection and the life. You know, some of you are nearing the end of your earthly journey. What wonderful, wonderful news to know that Jesus will still be with you after you take your final breath on earth. And just like Christ was raised in a glorified body, you too will be raised in a new glorified body. Now, if you're older in this room, that brings a big smile to your face. I know some of the younger people, it's like, new body, why do I need a new one? This one's working just fine. Trust me, it's good news to get a new body. I distinctly remember my dad when he was in his 30s, suffering from severe back pain. And so we'd wanna go play and my dad would be like, you know, I can't right now, my back's really hurting me. And I just remember being completely perplexed by this because I'd never experienced a body ache of any sort at that point. And I'm like, what, what do you mean your back hurts? I couldn't even wrap my little mind around it at that point because your body works so well. And then of course, I remember my dad, he'd come home from a long day of construction and us, me and my brother would be so excited to play baseball with him or do something. And he'd go, just let me take a 10 minute nap. He'd lay down on the carpet in the living room. Me and my brother would lay down right next to him on our elbows and we'd be staring at him. And after like 90 seconds, we'd start poking him. Has it been 10 minutes yet? Has it been 10 minutes yet? And I remember thinking as a little boy, who in the world would want to volunteer for a nap? You're wasting perfectly good sunlight. Like what is wrong with you? But of course, as you get older, a nap is a wonderful thing. You're, you're begging for your children to take a nap with you if you have little kids so you can get one. And as you get older, it becomes the most important and looked forward to moment of your day, the nap time. Well, guess what? I have good news for you. The resurrection means that just as Christ was raised in a glorified body, we will be raised with a brand new you. Version 2.0, a glorified body. And this is great news. But you know, for those of us in this room that are on the other end of the spectrum, you're not nearing the end, at least as far as you can tell of your earthly journey. Trust me, the fact that Jesus promises to be with you through all of eternity is the greatest news imaginable. There's no guarantee you're gonna live a long life. Death is no respecter of persons. But church, listen, whether you have five months left or five years left 
or 55 years, for those of us who choose Christ now, we have the assurance that is verified by his resurrection from the dead that Jesus will be with us for time and eternity. So let's end now where we began. Are you a worshiper? If so, wonderful. Wonderful. You have hope for this life and the life to come. If not, would you like to be? Would you like to become a worshiper of the risen Christ? Would you like to share in the hope that we're talking about today? Because here's the fact of the matter. The risen Christ is alive and he is here with us right now at this moment and he is offering you life and that in abundance. And all you need to do is take hold of it by faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we sang a song earlier asking a very profound question of your son. And the question was, is he worthy? Is he worthy of honor and glory forever? Lord, in light of the things that we've considered here together, I hope and I pray that the answer in all of our hearts is, he is. He is worthy because Jesus, you are fully God and you became fully man so that you could become our righteousness on our behalf, so that you could substitute your own life for ours on the cross where you died for our sins. And because of who you are, Jesus, as God the Son, death had no power over you. And in the most ironic way possible, at the very moment when Satan thought he had defeated you, you entered into death only to walk out of it, the victorious champion who has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. So Lord, this morning, we declare with all of our hearts that you are worthy. And Jesus, we desire to be worshipers. So Lord, I pray that that would be our anthem as we leave church today. I pray that that would be our anthem tomorrow and all throughout this week and that that would continue to be the anthem of our lives for the rest of our lives and on in through eternity. And Lord, if there are any that have joined us this morning who as they sit and reflect honestly on their own hearts have concluded that rather than being a worshiper, they have to define themselves as a, a doubter or some, something else. Lord, I pray that that would change, that you would instill in them this morning a faith, no matter how strong or perhaps how faint, that you would instill in them a faith not in themselves, but a faith in Jesus as the only one who can truly save. We ask this for their good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.